Same here, Matthew. Okay. All right. So, Parshas Peshawa is a fascinating Parsha, as I'm sure you all know, chock full of a lot of different exciting events, including Kriyas um, Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea, and the beginning of the Parsha of the Mun, the beginning of the Parsha of the manna that came down from heaven for the Jewish people, which was to be provided, which was God's, essentially God's food, which he was feeding them. And tucked away in that little parsha of the Mun is a very fascinating little piece that has a lot of lessons, a lot of insights for us. So, let's take a look. Um, it says there in the parsha of the Mun, we learn one of the one of the our, one of the regular mitzvos, one of the regular commandments which we observe every Shabbos, which is the mitzvah of lechem mishnah, which is the mitzvah to uh, to uh, to. Um, Take two loaves of bread, say we should have two loaves of bread. And that in and of itself has many fascinating ramifications, whether it's a Torah obligation, rabbinic obligation, it's a custom, is it a mitzvah, etc., and which has multiple different uh, practical differences. But in that parsha is a very interesting, very interesting verse. The Pasuk says as follows God tells the Jewish people that behold, I'm going to bring this this heavenly bread down. The people should go out and they should gather as much as they need only for one day. And that is a test, whether or not we're going to follow God's commandments, if we'll only gather in one day's worth, or we'll try to take more. Then the Torah adds a very fascinating little piece, and it's fascinating on multiple levels. It says as follows, Behold, on the sixth day, You should prepare what you bring. And guess what? As you're preparing, you will notice that there will be a double portion more and more than what you had on a regular day, which is the commandment that Hashem is telling us that essentially the mun will not fall down. There will only be mun. There will be this manna that will fall every single day of the week. It will not fall on Saturdays. It will not fall down on Shabbos. You will not have it on Shabbos. Rather, on Friday, you will have a double portion, and you should prepare your double portion from your double portion for your meal on Shabbos. Now, a number of observations. First of all, first and first of all is this. Why does the Torah have to tell us up front that you're going, not going, that you're going to have, there's going to be a double portion on Friday? What, like, why is that an important part of the instructions of the form of the manna? It says, Hashem says, you're going to get as much as you need and, and I'll test you every day. Right now, Hashem says, oh, and by the way, on Fridays, you're, not, you're going to get a double portion. And but it doesn't even say that. It doesn't say, and by the way, on Fridays, you're going to get a double portion. What it says, on Fridays, you should prepare what you need and you will notice that you have a double portion for the next day. That's a funny way to say that. If I was writing that, I would have said, you'll have a double portion. And from that double portion, you'll utilize that for Friday and for Saturday. Why does it say in your make your preparations and from the preparations that you make, it will be clear that you have a double portion also for Shabbos. It's a, it's a fun, it's just a funny way to say it and funny way to say it. Now, also, um, uh, um, uh, yeah, so, so, um, uh, right. So it almost sounds as though a piece of this idea of having a double portion is um, um, having a double portion is like it's a part of the mitzvah of the mun is that the mun itself will reproduce or, or will will produce for itself a second portion 
for what you need. Um, now, not only that, not only that, there's a fascinating Baal HaTurim on this Pasuk. Um, the Pasuk says, again, on this verse, the Baal HaTurim is one of the early common, is one of the early commentators on the Chumash, not for the earliest, but he, he is the same as the author as the Tur, the son of the Rush. He is, so in his commentary on the Torah, he, he quotes the following Chazal, quotes the following rabbinic aphorism that comes along with it, which, which, which requires some understanding. It says, V'haya Mishneh, it will be that you will get double. Call Maisa HaShabbos Kofel. You should know that everything that we get on Shabbos is Kofel, is double. Shnei Kvasim, you bring two offerings, two, two sacrifices. Shtei Kikaros, we have two, two loaves of bread. Shtei Neiros, we light two candles. Zohar Veshamar, we have two expressions of the greatness of Shabbos. That Shabbos is, is, is remembered with, under these two terms. Zohar Veshamar, you should, you, should, you should guard and you should uh, observe, right? All of these ideas, Shabbos seems to have, seems to be filled with ideas of being double. So let's try, let's try a little bit to understand what is the concept of double in Shabbos. And even more puzzling is the expression that it uses over here is kuffle, but it should be kuffle, it should be double. The, the, um, that, why, why double? And as I understand, if you're going to tell me that you want to make Shabbos special, so you should have a little more for Shabbos than you have during the week. You should, you should, there should be more than what you regularly have. Okay, that's understandable. Of course, you want to show Shabbos is a special day and we honor Shabbos and we honor Shabbos is somehow different than other things. So there's a little more for Shabbos. What, why, why specifically double? What's the idea that it should be double or specifically this word kaful, the Hebrew word kaful, it should be a kafel, it should be a double portion, it should be doubled over almost. What, what, what exactly does that, that expression mean, uh, that it's double? The Malbim, um, the Malbim is an acronym for his name, his name was Mayor Labush. He was a, uh, a rabbinic figure in the late 19th century. Um, actually, he, uh, he was offered to be the, uh, the chief rabbi of New York at one point in time, which he later said he was very thankful that he turned it down. The chief rabbi, the person who did take that position um, as chief rabbi in New York, um, uh, Rabbeinu, his name was a person by the name of Rabbeinu Yaakov Yosef, suffered terribly in New York. It was, uh, this was in the late 19th, early, a late 19th, early 20th century, uh, being being the chief rabbi of New York meant that he was in charge of all kashras, and one of the main uh, groups that he came up against was the shochtim of the time, the people who were the slaughterers, the people who were butchers. Um, now, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but but to be a butcher is a very, very technically demanding, halakhically demanding type of parnasa uh, of, of livelihood, and there are a lot of laws that go into that. And it's a it's a very risky business. Um, we're very strict about which animals we will use and which animals we won't use. It's not just the way the animal is slaughtered, but first of all, we don't use the whole hindquarters of the animal because it has c- contains within it the, the gin hanasha, the sciatic nerve, which the Jewish people are not are not necessarily allowed to eat. Um, it has uh, it, so so they're right there. As soon as you slaughter any animal, you're automatically taking a loss on half that animal, even though the, usually what they do is they make an arrangement with a non-kosher butcher that he takes half of, the, takes half of it off of you. Then, of course, you have to check the lungs to make sure that there are no blemishes on the lungs, that uh, the animal is, uh, is an animal that doesn't have uh, any sort of um, scabs 
on the lungs. And it's certainly nowadays it's much less, much less, but um, certainly in, uh, in animals that weren't necessarily well taken care of, most of them would end up having these scabs on the lungs, which would, which would cause it to be called a trefa. Trefa just means, we think of trefa as being non-kosher, but trefa, what trefa actually means is an animal that will die, that, that we predict will die within a year based on its health, based on the health of its lungs and its innards, etc. So many animals end up being a trefa. If an animal is a trefa, that's a dead loss for the shaykhet right there, for the slaughterhouse, that's a dead loss for them because they have to now give that away they have to either sell it to a non-kosher, again, to a non-kosher slaughterhouse to be sold as non-kosher meat, or sell it off to be fed to the dogs or something like that. So, so unfortunately, um, at the turn of the century, there was a tremendous amount of corruption in the meat business, not only in the not only in the Jewish meat business, as you, as I'm sure you all know, remember Sinclair. What was his name? Sinclair that did the uh, that did the the expose on on the butchers in uh, in uh, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, what was his book called? Um, uh, he did a whole expo. It was like a famous book that there was a, an expose on on the butchers of Chicago. Um, I forgot what it was called. Now, it's, 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 whatever it was, it was a very corrupt. The, the The meat business, the meat packing industry in general, was extremely corrupt, and even the Jewish meat packing business was extremely corrupt. And Rabbi Yaakov Yosef challenged them tremendously. And they gave, they didn't take it lying down. In fact, when he died, they formed a picket line and they chased the mourners away. They had to abandon his body, his coffin, on the way to the grave, on the way to the cemetery. Scary story, right? On the way, they had to abandon his coffin. They could only come back under police protection the next day to bury him. Just anyway, so so Mayor Leibush was very happy that he didn't come to New York. It also doesn't help that he himself was a, a rav, he served as a rabbi in, in probably almost in 30 plus cities across Europe um, at the end of the 18th, at the end of the 19th century. And that was because he had a very sharp tongue and he challenged all those around him. One famous story that comes to mind, funny story, a little bit of a funny story that comes to mind. There were, there were a group of people at that time who were called masculine. We would call them maybe intellectuals. Uh, people who are trying to intellectualize Judaism and take away from the practical aspect of obser- observance of Judaism. So the Maskilim were people that Rebbeinu Leibush really went after, very you know hammer and tongs. They went at, they went at each other. So it's it's there was a story told. I think he was the rav at that time in Livorno in Italy, and the head of the Maskilim sent Rebbeinu Leibush a shalach manos on Purim sent him a gift, you know, this is the custom to send your friend's gift on Purim, but what he sent him was a pig's head on a platter. That was what he sent to Ramir Leibush. So Ramir Leibush sent him back uh, Shalach Manas with a, with a picture of himself, a portrait of himself. So the fellow came to, called him up, you know, he didn't call him, whatever it was, he, he, he went to visit him, he went to see him and he said, why'd you send me a portrait of yourself? He said, well, since you sent me a picture of yourself, so I figured you you probably wanted a picture of me. Um, that kind of that kind of tongue-in-cheek, really, you know, sharp kind of response doesn't earn you a lot of friends uh, if you're in the Rabbanus. It's uh, not, not so he ended up drifting around in a lot of places. But anyways, that all that being said, as an aside, that's uh, just a tangent over there. But Mayor Leibush has wrote a commentary on all on all of Tanakh called it's known commonly uh, by the acronym of his name, the Malbim, each, each Sefer, each book in Tanakh has a different name to what he calls it. One of, the, one of the characteristics of what he does in his commentary is he analyzes words. 
Specifically, he's very, very uh, involved in analyzing similes and other types of words that, that seem synonymous, and yet they're used in different contexts. Like for instance, um, we have like five different expressions for joy, gila, rina, tita, chadra, right? Those are all expressions of joy and happiness. Why would you use each word? What is the difference between simcha and chadra, right? As rejoicing and happiness. So what, what are those words? That each word has a specific context. It's very, very, very particular what's used. So when he comes to this parsha, he wants to know what's the difference between pishnayim. Pishnayim means when you give a double portion, right? When you a firstborn child, for instance, gets pishnayim of the rest of the children, he gets a double portion of, of the rest of the children. What's the difference between pishnayim double portion and kefal double? They both seem double and double. What's the difference? This is double, that's double. So he says a very, he has a fascinating insight. He says pishnayim means that you get double, it's like a measure. In other words, 100 is 50 plus 50. So pishnai means in the in the measure of how much it is, it's double. It's double that, that amount. It's a number. It's a, it's a measurement. Kefal means a duplication of the original. Kefal means duplicating the original. Not that it's, it's not, it's not, about, it's not, it doesn't denote the sheer. It doesn't denote the measurement. It's simply a denote, it's like, it's like this is a this is a mirror image of that. So so we have this word kefal comes up, for instance, when uh, when somebody steals something and he gets caught, a thief that steals something and gets caught has to pay kefal. He has to pay double. It's not a double that you stole fifty dollars. You have to pay back hundred. It's double. You have to you have to pay a second object exactly like the first one. Maras hamachpelo, where the where the others, where the forefathers are, the forefathers and their wives are all buried. Right is a double cave. Each cave mirrors the next cave. They mirror, they mirror one another. This concept of kefal means that it mirrors one, which means that in Shabbos everything is kafal. Everything is doubled over. Means that the second part of it is a mirror image of the first. Um, so what does that mean? In other words, why is what what's special about Shabbos? What's the idea in Shabbos that there's a there's a concept of a mirror image of some, of the first one? You have to have a second. You're 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 doubling everything over. How in what way are you are you not just doubling in size, but you're 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 recreating you're creating a carbon copy of the first one you create again. Um, um, halakhically speaking. Someone once wanted to say, use, had the following observation with regard to this. This I heard, most of these, these ideas I heard from Rabbi Lapiansky. He said, he explained the, there's a halachic concept like this. There's a halacha that if you miss a carbon, if you miss a sacrifice, you have an opportunity to bring certain offerings on certain days. If you have to bring an offering again a second time, Oh, I'm sorry, you missed an offering. You missed an opportunity to bring an offering, a musaf offering, the extra, the extra offering that's meant to be brought on uh, on a on a particular on a holiday or on a Shabbos. So if you miss an offering on Yom Tov, the lacha is the, the law is that you bring two the following day. You make it up by bringing an extra one the following day. There is a there is a an idea, it's not it's not clear that that's actually halachically so, that if on Shabbos, if you missed, you'd have to make it up the, do you make it up the following Shabbos by bringing an extra, an extra carbon the following Shabbos? The question is asked, why the following Shabbos? Why wait till the following Shabbos to bring it over again? Why don't you just bring it an extra one the next day? So they say like this, Shabbos is different than every other Musaf. The carbon Musaf of Shabbos 
the carbon musaf, the, the additional offering of Shabbos is different than the additional offering of every holiday. The additional offering of every holiday is that that day has a certain aspect, certain uh, elements that you want to bring out about that day, and therefore you bring a second offering on that day. Okay, but um, but on uh, when it comes to Shabbos, it's not a matter of bringing a second offering of that day. It's a matter of doubling over the, the, the daily offering of the morning is what you're supposed to bring in the morning. You bring it again, a, a, another offering that's a double of that. It's a copy, a carbon copy of that to bring that in the afternoon. So that the idea is, this that this Akron wants to say is, you can only double over the carbon tummet of Shabbos. You can only double over the regular offering of Shabbos on the next Shabbos. If you bring it the following day, it's not a double offering of a Shabbos offering. It, has, it won't be a Shabbos offering until the following Shabbos. But um, that's a, that, that's a, that, that's a, that's one element of that. The Aruch, the Aruch is a is an early it's like one of the early dic- earliest dictionaries that we have on the language of the Talmud. The Aruch was written by one of the early Gaonim, one of the early uh, sages immediately post Talmud. He writes that this word Mishnah, which we're, le- we're learning, is the same idea as the Kafel, is a translation of Mishnah. Like the Pesach here says, a double, it's a double portion on what you brought on the first day. Mishnah means, Mishnah, like the same expression that we have when we talk about Torah Shabbat Peh, Mishnah means a, a review, an overview of what you had said previously. Meaning it's, it's, it's an overview of what there already is which, is, which is an interesting concept, an interesting idea we have, for instance, the the, um, the the Torah for us is divided into, as you know, two parts. We have what we have, it's Torah Shavik Sav, we have the written Torah, we have the written law, and then we have the Torah Shavu the oral law, which is encapsulated for us actually in writing in something called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is called it. Mishnah, it's the same word, Mishnah, Mishnah. It's the same word. What is the Mishnah? Says the Aruch. The Mishnah is not something new. It's not that there's the, the written law and the oral law, and one of them's primary and one of them's secondary. No, the, the oral law is the Mishnah. It's the going over, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a doubling over of what's been already said in the written law, just brought out in a different way. So this, um, this idea, you know, it's, it's an idea that you're bringing over uh, another element of this idea of this of this concept of something that is that is supposed to be there. So, so what? So how does that translate into our idea into our concept of Mishnah of double of doubling over? Like we find, for instance, Sefer Devarim, the last book, the book of Deuteronomy, is called Sefer Mishnah Torah. It's like a second Torah. It's like the whole Torah reviewed over again. It was Moshe Rabbeinu's farewell speech. It's Moshe Rabbeinu's goodbye speech to the Jewish people in which he reviews the contents of the entire Torah and sp- spells it all out for them for what it's supposed to be. It's, it's a doubling over, but it's a doubling. And those, this expression of kefal is best encapsulated, if you will, um, we find with the, with the big day kahuna, with the, with the priestly garments, that it says the edge of their clothing was doubled over. It's kaful. It's doubled over. It's a mirror image of something that, that, that came before. Mishnah is the same idea. That, that's what the R says. The Mishnah is, right? It's a review of what there or what already was. Okay. This idea, this concept of the Hinu Es Asheri 
that you should that you that you should um, you should prepare what you have in order to have to discover that you have a double portion for Shabbos is actually the makar. It's the source for a very common halacha that we talk about. It's the makar, whether it's this halacha is is Doraisa, is of Torah or, or, or origin or rabbinic origin will be different. It, it may sound come out differently, but it, the concept of muktza on Shabbos. What is muktza on Shabbos? Muktza is there are certain objects on Shabbos that are considered that are that they're set aside that you can't use them, that you can't use them because they weren't prepared from before Shabbos to be used. So they're called muktza. Now, the simple understanding of muktza is that muktza is only a rabbinic injunction a rabbinic injunction saying that there are certain things that if you utilize these things, you may come to transgress and do things that you're not supposed to do on Shabbos. So for instance, a pen, right, which is an implement that's used for writing. Writing is one of the activities that is prohibited on Shabbos. Therefore, a pen is mukta. A pen is designated as set aside. The word mukta comes from the word katse. You put it aside. It's pushed out of your consciousness, so to speak. I'm not the hammer that's used for repairing things, which you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, is pushed aside. The um the 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 any any item, the strainer that I'm not allowed to produce straining of food on Shabbos because that straining has to be done for is pushed aside. So if mukta is rabbinic in origin, it's very understandable what this means. What it's saying is the concept of mukta is there are certain items certain things that are prohibited. Therefore, the rabbi said, Muktza, we will put aside certain object, certain uh, 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 certain vessels, certain tools, so to speak, that you will not touch them on Shabbos or you will not move them on Shabbos, lest you come to use them for something you're not supposed to do, that, that, that you're not allowed to do. Now, the, the laws are very detailed, exactly what is, is absolutely prohibited, or if you have a different use that's, for, that's permitted, are you allowed to use it? We're not getting into that for another time being. But if mukta is a, of Torah origin, that means that the mukta in and of itself has to have a meaning. It's not just there as a safeguard to stop me from making a mistake. Mukta, there is a there is an, an opinion that says that mukta is derisa, which specifically means that if something is not prepared from before Shabbos, it can't be used on Shabbos. So, for instance, if uh, if you had fruit that was still on the tree. And it didn't, hadn't been plucked yet from before Shabbos. So now it becomes what's called mukta for Shabbos. And if it falls off on Shabbos, you're not allowed to use it because it wasn't prepared from before Shabbos. This is, the, this is a turning around of their concept, similar to what we mentioned in the way the Pasuk states it, the way the verse states it, specifically that you prepare what you have, and then you'll find that you have double. Not you have double, therefore prepare from today for tomorrow, but rather by, by preparing you make it possible for that to be used on Shabbos. What we're saying is as follows. What we're saying is, is that for in order to utilize something on Shabbos, it requires pre-preparing it from before Shabbos. If I could say it more, perhaps a little more sharply, I would say it like this. The Gemara in the beginning, the Talmud in the beginning of Masechus Be'a. Masechus Be'a talks about the laws of Yom Tov. It talks about an egg that's laid before Yom Tov and discusses the issues as to whether or not one's allowed to utilize that egg if the egg was laid on Yom Tov for the first time, if you're allowed to use it or not. Okay, now the Gemara there says that according to this, there's, a, there's an idea called Hachana de Rabo, which is Rabo is the name of a person. He says that anything that you want to use on Shabbos or Yom Tov, you have to prepare from before because this is like, 
when you go into the when you go into the when you go into a banquet, right? You go into a, into a place where they're where they're serving food that is that is supposed to be, you know, the king's the president's serving a banquet. They don't prepare the food on the spot, like right there. They made they made they made preparations for that in advance. If they were to just cook up something on the spot, you know, like uh, scramble an egg, that's not there's something lacking in in the, in the dignity of that. If you have some, an important occasion, you prepare for it ahead of time. You make sure that what you have is ready ahead of time. Shabbos is a day which in which the things that you're going to utilize for Shabbos, you need to prepare them from before. You don't prepare on Shabbos at the last minute for Shabbos. That's not a proper. That's not a proper. That's not a proper way to approach what Shabbos is. Shabbos requires initial preparation. It requires that I get into it and I make it something that's ready for me from beforehand. Let me share with you an interesting insight. For um, an interesting insight um, from the Arizal. The Arizal writes as follows: Arizal says. Right, that the concept of preparing for Shabbos, the concept of preparing for Shabbos is a euphemism, is a is an idea that I need to prepare here in order to be able to eat in the world to come. And this is an idea that I've discussed with you before. So to everybody, to people here listening, this may not sound so foreign, but let me let me try to bring it out. What he says is he takes it one step further. He says. You, you, the muzzle that's being referred to in the pasuk, the 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 food that's being referred to in the in, in the verse is the food for is talking about the food is is referring to is referring to the study of Torah. Study the Rama, the 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 Arizal says study everything today, right? Um, because whatever you study today, you'll have an opportunity to study again in the world to come. What you don't study here, you won't be able to study there. Not only will you not be able to study it there, but similar to what it says, that the stuff that you take extra, that you take, that you that you don't, that you try to collect on Shabbos becomes the just like the mun became wormy if it was kept over from one Shabbos that you didn't actually consume it, but you left it over from one day to the next. It became all wormy, it became disgusting and not edible. Torah that's not learned, not consumed, not, not absorbed in this world. You leave it over. You say, why should I learn while I'm here in this world? In the world to come, I'll study everything there. When I get there in front of the, I'll have all the time in the world. And then I'll study, I'll, I'll learn Hashem's Torah there. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be in front of it there. Just like the mun not consumed in its time today, here on the day is not fresh anymore. The next day it becomes all wormy. So too Torah that you tried to, that you didn't learn here and you want to learn in the world to come becomes all wormy. It just becomes inaccessible to you, becomes spoiled. The the, the reason I was saying a very interesting idea. Some people, some people, not this esteemed audience, but some people think, right, that the concept of the world to come is that I do mitzvot in this world. I do, I follow God's commandments in this world. And it's like putting money in the bank. Right. Basically, I'm 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 uh, put, I'm banking good deeds as payments, as you know, those as the currency for the world to come and in the world to come, whatever the world to come will be. So this world is a world of of commerce and study and all these types of things. And the world to come is a world of beautiful fruits and uh, and flowing rivers and, you know, whatever you want to however you want to uh, do you want to envision 
quote-unquote nirvana, the Garden of Eden, you know, some sort of restful place. I'll have the currency to be able to buy what I need in the world to come, and the currency of the world to come will be my mitzvot, will be my commit, will be my good deeds that I do in this world, that I'll use those as currency to purchase whatever it is that I want in the world to come. Says the Arizal, no, that's not, that's not, that's a, that's a, that's a very shallow understanding of what the world to come is. You want to know what the world to come really is? The world to come is the appreciation, the appreciation of everything that you did here in this world. You will truly appreciate what that is in the world to come. Meaning the whole inner depth of what that is, of what all these actions really are, will become apparent to you in the world to come. If you do those actions, then when you get to that place and what the world to come is, then you will have those things to appreciate. If you don't do them here in this world, you won't have them in the world to come. They, they just won't be available to you because you didn't make them. You didn't, you didn't have that. You didn't, you didn't consume them. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't create. We've talked about this. Again. You, you didn't create the limbs that can appreciate. You didn't, you didn't do what it takes in order to have those things in the world to come. It's not currency that I can buy something else. It's this thing itself is the reward. The mitzvah, the, the commandment, the, the, the positive deed, the study of Torah, whatever it is that I'm doing in this world, that is the reward of the world to come. It's just that in the world to come, I'll truly appreciate what it is in a way that I can't appreciate it here. It becomes something more. It's very famous. There's a famous aphorism. It says like this. Misha Tarach, the Arab Shabbos, somebody who does the work on Arab Shabbos, meaning before, before the Sabbath, if you work before Shabbos, if you prepare before Shabbos, you make the food before Shabbos, you'll have what to eat on Shabbos. But when Shabbos comes, it's too late. You can't prepare. You're not allowed to prepare food anymore on Shabbos. That's, that's an effort. That's, that's, that is synonymous with the idea that who's, this world is called Arab Shabbos. The world to come is called Shabbos. The world to come is called, that is the world of Shabbos. This is the world of action. We live in the Olam HaMaisa. We live in the world of action, the world of deeds. And the world of the world to come is called the world of Shabbos, the world of rest, the world of simply appreciating those deeds that I did from before. If I make chalant on Friday, I'll have what to eat on Shabbos morning. If I make my potato kogel on Friday morning, then on Friday night, I'm going to have hot potato kogel. But if I don't make potato kugel, then come Friday night, it's not, it's, I'm not a bad person. I just don't have, I don't have potato kugel because I didn't make any potato kugel. That's what the, that's what the, that's what the Arizal is trying to say. The, 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 the reality of the world to come is not a payback for the actions. It's not that I earn currency that I can then go spend and do whatever I want in the world to come. The actions that I do in this world that are mitzvahs and limunah Torah, the study of Torah, are the world to come. I'm building my reality. And to the degree that I build that reality, then I have it. And if I don't build that reality, then I'm left with nothing. There is, in, in, uh, it's like this. If, uh, if a person does, um, if, a person, if a person puts in effort, a person builds something himself, that there's no comparison to something that I built myself, that I made myself, that I constructed, that a, a business that I developed on my own and, I be, and became profitable to the person who's handed something on a platter. The appreciation of the person that, that, that went ahead and built himself an empire, built himself a, 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 what he, everything that he has in this world, 
how the way he appreciates that is completely different than what uh, what what somebody has. So somebody who doesn't who didn't do that. If somebody didn't didn't build right, is simply doesn't appreciate that. Listen to how the Ramchal, the, the Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Lutzato, the famous, the, we've spoken about many times, the famous 17th century philosopher writes in his Sefer, Messias Yisharim. Towards the end of the Sefer, the highest level, the, the, the Messias Yisharim writes um, uh, uh, sort of a, a, he, an instruction book for how to, for a person, how a person to, should develop himself spiritually. How, what is the, what is the pathway for spiritual development? It's based on a teaching from, from, from the, from the Talmud of Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair, and it's like a ladder. You, one thing builds on the next and builds on the next, and if you don't go up each step of each rung of the ladder, there's really no way to reach the ultimate levels of Kedusha. The highest level that the, that the Ramchal discusses Right is what's called midas hakedusha, the appreciation of absolute holiness. Holiness. How, do, how does one get to a point of being separated from this world, desert, like living on a plane that is that is above that that transcends the materialism, the material reality of what this world is? So he says like this. He says inyan hakedusha kafelhu. Says the right Ramchal. The concept of kedusha is a double is double tahainu, which means as what I mean by that is as follows: It starts off as something that I work on, that I work towards. Sofogmu, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's something that's awarded to a person. It's something. It's it's something that doesn't. That's that's not a result of my action. It's simply a benefit that grow out an outgrowth of my action. It requires an initial effort. So for matana, at the end, it comes from as a gift. That a person makes himself works to make himself holy. So also, but in the end, it's he is made that he becomes that. A person. Elevates himself a little bit, makdishim also harbe. That then the elevation comes to him from outs from the outside on a much greater level. Milmata makachim also milmata. Right, what he does below is reflected on what happens to him on the on on a much higher plane. What he's saying is as follows: What the, what the Ramchal means is like this. He's saying that in every um, action that I do. Every every behavior, every effort that I put out has a mirror image, has a doubling over of what that is in the world to come, in a, in a part on a higher spiritual plane. There's a mirror image of my physical actions is mirrored in the spiritual reality of what I what I can ultimately become. That's on one that's on one level. But uh, even deeper than that is as follows. It means is that the the fact is that a person has within him the ability, a person in, in and of himself is a um, finite being. We are finite beings. Everything about, therefore, everything that we do is finite. And yet, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu made the world is that you can do something in a finite sense and create an infinite reality through that. You can touch the infinite. The action that you do can have within it something that is infinite, even though it would seem impossible. In the same way that the whole I, the whole concept of binding a physical body with a spiritual soul, 
the 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 Rama, the the the, uh, the halachic literature when it talks about the bracha that we make, the blessing that we say, that Hashem is mafli lasos. Hashem is a, a wonder. A human being is a wondrous creature. The wondrous creature of what a human being is is that a person has within himself a spiritual person and a shama, a soul, and a physical person that are bonded together, which would seem something that's impossible. In the same way, the kedusha, the, the, the element of our actions is, right, is hidden within every physical action is a spiritual counterpart to it. And that spiritual counterpart is, is what's appreciated in the, um, in, the, in the higher world. Meaning everything that, that, that is that has a spiritual component to it. Every element of what there is in uh, in what a person does is you want to bring out what you prepared within this world. Shab, the whole concept of Shabbos is to be omel, is to work towards Shabbos. Meaning the appreciation of Shabbos is not simply that I have food on Shabbos. It's, the goal is not to have the food on Shabbos. The goal is to have the food that I prepared on Shabbos because the, the, the food that I eat on Shabbos is food that's elevated to a spiritual plane. And when I get to Shabbos, it's, I'm not working now because I'm living in, a, I'm almost, I'm touching a higher sphere. I'm, I'm having the, the potential for something that's more than this world. The inner dimension of Shabbos is to taste from within this, from within this, this experience the work that I did from before. I want to, I, the, the Shabbos is supposed to be an appreciation, but the, which is what the verse here is saying. Make the preparation, and then on Shabbos it will be doubled over. You will feel the appreciation for the work that you did in preparing for that Shabbos so much more so because you did the work from before. Everything that there is, is in the spiritual realm is only here because of what there isn't. There's, there's a famous Arachim that says as follows. A, the, as you know, there's a Gemara in Shabbos, the Talmud in Shabbos speaks about Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara, the Gemara there says that Rabbi Akiva was Darish. He, he extrapolated tile tilin, piles and piles of laws from the tagin, from the little crowns that are on top of the letters of, of the alphabet. Says the, says the Arachim HaKadosh, it, what it means, what that Pasuk is telling you, what that idea the Talmud is stating to you is as follows. The Tagin represent the higher element or the, the, the inner dimension of what there is on the letters of the Torah, but the inner dimension of what Torah really is. The inner dimension of what Torah really is, what I mean by that inner dimension of what the Torah really is, that means the higher experience of what Torah is, the Mishnah, the, the Kfela, the doubling over, what we're saying this doubling over means is that the, it's doubled over. It's the same thing as I saw before, but it's the, in that mirror image is an appreciation for something more, something higher, something deeper. A crown on top of a king, right, is what makes the king. into. It's, it's what elevates him above everybody else. It's what designates him as being different than the people around him. Right, by when we put that crown, when we coronate, right, when we, when we put that crown on top of him, we're designating him as something that's special. When Rabbi Kiva was darshaning, when Rabbi Kiva was learning out the tag from the tagin, from the crowns, what it means is, is not that he was saying new halachos that were never said before, he was bringing out the inner dimension of the letters, the black and white that's there in front of you, is only one level of what Torah really is. On a higher level, everything in the Torah is really indicating something deeper, something higher, something more. 
there's more to what's the to what to what than what just meets the eye. They say about the Vilna Gon that at the end of his life he simply studied studied only the Chumash. He only studied he only studied the words of the Torah, and from within the Torah he was able to find to extrapolate all of the laws and everything, the whole Talmud, you know, you walk into, into our base medish, into the library, and you look around and all the farm and everything in there is all contained in the Torah. It's interesting that the Ramban, for instance, Nachmanides has a book in which he shows how all 613 commandments actually fit into Sarah uh, into the 10 commandments of next, next week's Parsha. They're all hinted in, in, the, in, the, in the 10 commandments are all 613 commandments of the Torah. What that means is it's not that it's just a, it's not just like a, 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 a it's like a shtick, you know, oh, I find a, a reference. No, it means there's a deeper meaning, there's a deeper element of the Aseris Adibros that contains the whole Torah, that contains everything else, everything else within it. The tagin, the crowns of the letters means the inner dimension, the higher understanding of what Torah really is, contains not only the written Torah, but contains the Mishnah Torah. The review of the Torah, the doubling over the Torah, the deeper element of what's in the Torah, it's all, all there. The, the man, the, the food that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Hashem fed the world, right? That's the food of the world. It, has, it contains within it the concept of Shabbos. Within that man, when you, when you prepare what you have, and you will find that it's doubled over because Shabbos is what is what we have in this world. That's me'ain olam haba. It's the it's our access point to understanding to having the beginnings of an understanding of what the world to come is really all about. The world to come is really all about is enjoying, expressing the enjoyment, the inner dimension of everything that's that we see in the physical world. How do we appreciate that on the? Um, how do we appreciate that when when uh, is only through the work that we do, right? Then you're able to understand that. But what that means, even on a more practical level, on a more on a deeper level, is like this: it means that the first time you read something, the first time you read something, you don't get the whole thing. The concept that a person has to uh, uh, that a person has to um, uh, study something and study it over again, you know. And sometimes it's written in some of the in some of the books. It says like this. Um, it says, it says, it says, at first glance, at first glance, the understanding of this and this concept will be such and such. However, after I researched this and I reviewed it and I looked at it again many times, my understanding is like this. So ask yourself, if the real understanding is the second way, would you bother telling me the first way for? Why do you bother with how the, how the, the what it looks like at first glance? The answer is, the reason why it looks the way it looks at first glance is not because somehow I'm not smart enough to get it on the first time or, or somehow that the, the answer is everything that we learn, we learn in layers. Everything about that, 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 that gives us access to the spiritual dimension, we access that only in layers over of, of time after time of, of when we review something, right? And then we review it again each time we review it, we uncover another layer of what there is there, what's actually being expressed. We're uncovering a deeper element. We're uncovering another level of connection that we can't, that we that there's no way to get there until you jump in the first time. 
First, you have to jump in at the first time. You have to swim in it a little bit. And then you, and you have to familiarize yourself with the concept. And then the next time you get it, you're going you're, you're gonna to have a, a finer understanding. You're going to have a, a greater a, a element of it. It's not like I was talking to my son the other day. I told him, I saw he was reading. Um, I, I'm sure this audience, most of you are probably familiar. You remember there was a, there was a, Jewish, uh, a Jewish novelist named Leon Uris. Right, he's famous for writing Exodus. Right, he wrote a bunch of other books. He wrote a book called Armageddon. Armageddon was a book that he wrote about the uh, about the uh, the occupation of Berlin immediately after. It was primarily about the occupation of Berlin immediately after World War II. Okay, now don't take this the wrong way. I read Armageddon the first time when I was in the fourth grade. Okay. Now, reading Armageddon in the fourth grade, believe me, I missed half the book. Like I didn't even remember, didn't even realize that the that the uh, I don't want to ruin, ruin the book for you. That what, what happened in the in the final result with the with the the main heroine of the book, right? I didn't remember the the final result. I didn't even re- maybe the third time that I read it, I finally figured out what happened to her, right? But that was because I was too immature. When you're in the fourth grade, you can't read a book like Armageddon. It simply not, was, not, was not geared for a fourth grader. That's not what I'm talking about over here. That is not what I'm talking about over here. When you learn Torah, it's not because you don't have the base of knowledge. It's that the reality of what Torah is, is that it has, it's multi-layered, it's multifaceted. And when you go, when you learn it again, when it's kuffle, when you see the mirror image, the exact same words again, you get something deeper out of it. You get something more out of it because you are now, you've now accessed it on a whole nother plane. You have become a different person. And by elevating yourself each time that you learn it, it becomes a deeper understanding of what it is. Uh, that's really, and, and, and you know, it's, that's what this whole, everything that's in the physical world, that's, that's the way it is. Um, the Ramchal, when he finishes off, in, in the end of, at the end of Mesir Hashem, when he finishes off this meet of Kedusha, right, he says like this, he says, um, he writes like this, um, Yeah, he says, Behold, you will see, It requires first, the first element of what it requires is that I, they divorce myself from the physical world. It requires me to examine at, in depth and at length the deeper elements of the world. Until a person gets to a higher level, right, where he knows What's going on? That he, he so to get to that point requires first the meat of precious, which is the meat of which is the character trait that is required immediately before kedusha, and only later can you come to appreciate what the kedusha is. Um, the point of preparing for Shabbos is not in order to have the enjoyment of Shabbos. No, the point is the the enjoyment of Shabbos is. The, the deeper element of what that hachana really was. It's an enjoyment of the preparation. Um, again, let me say it again. I'm not preparing in order to enjoy Shabbos. When I enjoy Shabbos, I enjoy the preparation. It's the preparation that's enjoyed. Shabbos is, and Shabbos is, is just the, it's like the example that we have. It's Hashem's 
window for us into what Olam Haba, into what the world to come is. The world to come is not that I worked here and therefore I get reward. I now have currency in the world to come. It's that, it's that when I work here, I appreciate the work. Imagine somebody asks you to do a favor. They ask you to do something for them on their behalf. And it's really difficult to do. It's something that's really hard. And you do it anyway, right? You do it anyway. You go ahead and you put in the effort, right? So, so the, the scar, the reward of the world to come is not that, oh, you were such a great person. You had such mysterious nefesh. You, you gave up of yourself to do something on somebody else's behalf. So therefore, no, we're, you, you know, that earned you 10 bucks. You know, that earned you a million dollars. No, when you get to the world to come, you'll appreciate the effort that you put in. That's what the world to come is. Shabbos is not that I prepare for Shabbos in order that I can enjoy what I prepared on Shabbos. It's, it's, it's that Shabbos will give me an appreciation of the work, that the work that I put in was worthwhile. It will make that work itself something that I appreciate. That's what the world to come is really all about. That's what we're really trying to build. When, when we do something in this world, make the preparations and then you'll realize that it was double. What was double? you'll realize that the preparation was double. You'll realize that the preparation had double effect. There was so much more to what you were doing. Everything that you did as, as a preparation to getting here will be worthwhile because you'll be able to appreciate that appreciate that, that, that piece of it. That's the ultimate goal. And that's really, it only that only uncovers itself as we peel away those layers and we come to a deeper understanding. The deeper understanding reflects back that every all the effort that we put in until here is what got me to this point that I'm able to appreciate and to know what it is that I'm really trying to do. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. If, Denise, you have your hand up. I don't know if that means you have a question, but uh, if you do, you can stay on. Otherwise, have a wonderful Shams and we will see you. I do have a all question. Right. Yes, go ahead. So is that the, the concept of kafal? Double, yeah, and the concept what you're talking about, um, having an opportunity to learn something again, is that why we year after year read the Torah again and again? Yes, exactly. So we're exactly. given that opportunity. Right, we're we're deepening it every time. The appreciation it's it's a mirror image of what there was before, but just understood on another level and on another level. It's the same stuff, but I'm just understanding it more and more and more and more deeply, and I'm taking it to the next level. That's correct. You and when we studied with you before, you 